All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Kente Corner, your favorite casual Hoya basketball podcast. I'm your host, as always, Bobby Bancroft. And today, ahead of the Georgetown Navy game on December 1st, I've got voice of the midshipman and 106.7 The Fan on-air personality, Pete Medhurst. Pete, what's up, man? Bobby, good to be with you, man. So you're the voice of the Navy midshipman, and we're, you know, Navy's played three games now, Georgetown's played one. But you have the unique um, insight as you're the voice of football as well. And just in this COVID age, what has it been like to call these games and to have to adjust? Because I know the Navy football teams had a couple games postponed. Yeah, it's been a tough month for the football team. They had not played since Halloween before playing on Saturday night against Memphis, losing a heartbreaker 10-7. And, you know, the kids over there, I mean, you know, Bobby, if there's a campus that has an opportunity to bubbleize itself, it's probably the Naval Academy with only 4,400 students who have uh, certain, you know, things they can do in terms of coming and going uh, during the course of the day and the week. But even they have not been totally, uh, you know, uh, shielded from it. Uh, and a lot of it for them is because of contact tracing, not that they've had a, a ton of positive tests individually. So from that standpoint, you know, in this climate where right now, if you are, uh, you know, if you're, if you're around the wrong person, it's enough right now to get people to, you know, pause college basketball activities and all it, if it takes some, you know, somebody in your tier one right now in college basketball gets a positive test, you have to pause uh, your activity. St. Joseph's the latest one to announce that uh, today. And, you know, at this point, the, the schools have to err on the side of caution. We talk about it all the time about protecting student athletes and I applaud schools that are willing to uh, take uh, you know a pause and you know care about the student athletes welfare and at the same time it's great to see teams like Virginia Tech and Villanova put a game together in two days and yeah. you get a great upset like you did last night with Virginia Tech uh, beating Nova uh, in overtime so you know some of those myths about scheduling have certainly uh, you know been debunked uh, in both college football and uh, college basketball this year. And, um, you know, we can only hope that the, the players get a chance to finish this season because, it, it, look, I mean, they're the ones that this is for. It, it's a chance for them to play, especially the seniors uh, in a lot of these programs that, um, you know, would be playing in their final season. Hopefully they can play as many games as possible. And as we know, the economics of the situation, uh, they're desperate to have an NCAA men's basketball tournament this year because that is money that not only – um, you know, goes to the 64 teams, 68 teams overall that are involved. But uh, there's a lot of that distribution that goes out to NCAA schools, and they need it badly after missing it last season. Yeah, and selfishly, we all kind of need the NCAA tournament badly. Now, Georgetown and Navy haven't played for about, about 10, 10 to 12 years. The Hoyas are going to host the Midshipmen Tuesday, December 1st, 6 p.m. on CBS Sportsnet. You're going to be on the call on the radio. Rich Spotkin's going to be call 106.7. And this is a game at McDonough Arena that selfishly, I think you're on the same page with me. I love games at McDonough. Um, how cool would this game have been under normal circumstances, just from the idea of locals playing and locals playing at places like McDonough? Well, I mean, I think for those of us that go back to when the Big East first started, and we used to all watch Channel 5 on Monday night, Len Berman calling the play-by-play, Syracuse playing at Manly Fieldhouse, Georgetown playing at McDonough, Seton yeah. Hall playing in that small gym in East Orange, New Jersey, uh, with the wacky-looking floor. 
Uh, I mean, that's what, you know, that's what it was all about. That's the Big East that we all grew up on. And, uh, you know, Big John won a lot of ball games in that building, uh, even before they started to move over to the Capitol Center. Uh, and, you know, and, and it, it's going to be great to see these two longtime basketball programs actually, you know, get together again. And I, I'm of the feeling, and maybe it's because of the environment now, maybe it'll help change some of this. All the schools that we have here in the Baltimore, D.C. area in Northern Virginia with uh, George Mason over there, James Madison out I-66. Heck, you can My even Dukes. go down into, you know, right. I mean, you know, with all these teams should play each other. All these teams should play each other. It'll save a lot of them a lot of money. Uh, the bigger schools certainly cut a check to some of the smaller schools uh, when they host them and things of that nature. But uh, from that standpoint, it's great to see two uh, local schools. Last time they got together it was actually – uh, over at Alumni Hall uh, in Annapolis. And um, it was great to have Georgetown in the building. And hopefully one day uh, maybe the Hoyas can pay a visit to the Veterans Classic, which has been such an unbelievable event with uh, top teams like North Carolina, Michigan State, uh, Maryland have all been over there uh, for an incredible time uh, and a uh, great night of basketball. And hopefully the Hoyas can one day participate in that event as well. Now, a um, friend of mine, friend of the podcast, Rich Fotkin, he broadcast the first Georgetown game last week from 106.7 Studios. Are you and Rich going to be broadcasting the game on different channels, like uh, a room apart? Well, ironically enough, um, we are not doing the game Tuesday night uh, because it's a road game and we're not able to go to McDonough. Okay. And since the game the game is on, uh, you know, Fox Sports, um, okay. we're not doing the game. But Rich is actually doing the game from my former update studio <laughs> at the building, and and clearly. I'm thinking it's a case of McDonough is probably stretched a little thin uh, from a technology standpoint, uh, yeah. probably just good enough uh, for the TV broadcast, um, you know, to get done in the building at this point. And, you know, maybe that's one of the, the, the disappointing things about playing in McDonough is maybe technology is not up to snuff to handle all of the, the media and things of that nature. But, you know, when I first saw that game, I was like, oh, this is going to be great because ever since I was a kid, I've wanted to broadcast a game at McDonough Gym. You know, I've been in the building when we played lacrosse over there, ironically enough, when Navy has played Georgetown in lacrosse. But, um, you know, it's going to be great to see these two teams play, whether it be at McDonough, uh, Capital One Arena, Alumni Hall. I'm just glad Navy and Georgetown are getting on the hardwood uh, with each other uh, coming up on Tuesday night. So you can follow Pete at Pete Medhurst on Twitter. He's a great Twitter follow. Pretty much every sport he has you covered and probably more sports than you can even handle. Now, Pete, I'm not going to lie to you. I like the matchup, but I was a little worried based on what happened in football when I saw Navy on Georgetown's schedule just because I know they'd had a lot of uh, postponements. That's not been the problem in men's basketball. Georgetown's only 1-0, having um, knocked off UMBC the other day. Uh, Navy, big win against an A-10 program, George Washington. Our friend Jamie and Christian over there um, took one on the chin to Maryland and then beat Jamie and Christian's old school Mount St. Mary's. So, Navy's already played three games, two and one. Tell Georgetown fans what is going on the court. What do they need to worry about? What are you know? What are the main, the main uh, areas of attack for the midshipmen who have been the last couple of years a middle of the pack Patriot League team? Pretty pretty solid team. Yeah, we've we've advanced to the Patriot League semifinals a couple of times, only to be eliminated by the eventual league champion uh, on a couple of those occasions. So you know we've. We've pushed the envelope a little bit, um, and, you know, considering uh, the Patriot League is now a scholarship league, Navy and Army are not scholarship teams, so 
there's a smidge of an advantage now for the rest of the league. The fact that either one of those basketball programs are competitive in what's become a really good league, um, you know, is a testament to both uh, Ed DeCellis at Navy and Jimmy Allen at Army. But, you know, Cam Davis is the guy that obviously our team captain, everything starts and ends with him. He just became the 25th player in Navy's illustrious basketball history. Uh, took over 1,000 points for his career. He had 26 in the win over Mount St. Mary's on Saturday. And, you know, it was terrific against George Washington. Mids had a double-digit lead. GW made a nice run with all the transfers they have. Uh, Bishop is terrific. The kid from LSU made a big run at the mids, got it down to four, and then Cam went right into the middle of their zone defense at the foul line and hit three straight shots, put the mids back up 10 before GW made a little bit of a late rally and Navy canned their free throws uh, down the stretch. And Cam's the guy that leads the way. John Carter, terrific shooter uh, off of the wing. Uh, for us and you know we've gotten a little bit of a boost out of the post so far this year Richard Najoku played at St. John's in D.C. has been a big lift for us was great against George Washington we carved up their press got odd man situations he was sitting in that short corner for a couple of bounce passes and explosive dunks in that game and uh, you know to have him and Daniel Deaver a young man out of Falls Church Virginia uh, two local kids have been solid for us uh, inside of the post you know, things are starting to come together a little bit for this club. It's by far the deepest club Ed DeCellis has ever had at Navy. And, um, you know, I think as long as we don't turn the ball over and can find a way to rebound, uh, you know, Kudus Wahab has been terrific, was terrific against UMBC on the boards. UMBC didn't have any answer for him uh, on the glass. Mids are going to have to find a way to check him out uh, on the glass. And if they do, I think Navy's got a puncher's chance uh, in this game coming up on the road uh, on Tuesday night. So what happened in the Maryland game? You know, when I saw the GW score, I even remarked to somebody, I said, wow, that's, you know, it's a little bit of an eyebrow raiser. Hoys, Hoys have the uh, mids coming in. Maryland, obviously, was it, was it kind of an, was it inside? Because when I picture a service academy, I'm picturing not necessarily the Princeton, which Georgetown followers are very familiar with, but I am, I am picturing a team that wants to not necessarily get up and down the court. You just mentioned that this is the deepest team they've had in a while. Are they able to get up and down the court? And, you know, what is it exactly that happened against the Terps? Well, against Maryland, it was tied at 20 in the okay. first half. Maryland went on a 30, uh, 12-5 run at the end of the half to go up 7, 32-25 of the break. In the second half, Maryland couldn't miss. I mean, they were 18 of 24 overall from the field, 7 of 10 from three-point range. Aaron Wiggins couldn't miss from three-point range. And the one thing about Maryland, Bobby, is they defend and play incredibly hard. And, you know, it almost reminds you – of John Thompson Jr.'s old teams with the intensity that they played with on defense. They're physical. Daryl Morsell uh, was terrific at both ends of the floor. He's a mid-range assassin on offense, and he was terrific in defending Cam Davis, our best player uh, in this game. He's strong, and Maryland is big, and Maryland is strong in a lot of different places on the court. You know, Jarius Hamilton, the Boston College transfer, uh, a huge difference. It's a big body. Dante Scott, another big body out there. When you're trying to operate against them on offense and you're giving away size, you're giving away strength, they just made it so tough for Navy to score in the second half and get quality shots. It was Maryland's defensive effort. If Maryland defends with that kind of effort most of the season, they're going to win a lot of basketball games because of how hard uh, they played. It's a simple case of Maryland uh, playing like a Big Ten team, uh, and they did that incredibly well uh, on Friday afternoon, particularly in the second half. Uh, they were terrific on defense, got them great shots at the other end on offense, and uh, they were able to pull away 
you know, 30 points, it, you go like, oh, this is a blowout. And I mean, yeah. I mean, it was a 2020 game with about six to go in the first half. And uh, Maryland's defense just basically wore Navy down at that point, And uh, they were able to pull away uh, for the victory. I did a po- I did Gene Smith's podcast earlier today. I believe you know who that is, former mm-hmm. former sure. Hoya defensive standout. Speaking of old olden days of, I think he came on just before they they got rid of McDonough. Not they they left McDonough and went to the Cap Center. But we were talking and you know a bunch of the different issues and come up and obviously Georgetown's not right now in a place where everybody kind of wants them to be. Um, what's your sort of assessment from afar of the Patrick Ewing era so far? We're going to go into year four. He's lost, you know, there's been, you know, last year was a bunch of transfers happened. He did have, when he got there, he started off with Marcus Derrickson and Jesse Govan, obviously really good pieces. They're kind of back to square one. They do have a good class coming in next year, led by Ryan Matumbo, who I believe everyone kind of has an understanding of who he is. What's sort of been your sense, you know, just being a local DMV uh, sports guy, as far as what's going on with the Hoyas? No, there's no question. Roster retention is, is a big deal. Um, you know, both of my sons coach college basketball. They're assistant coaches on the D2 and D3 level, and they, they go around a lot of the DMV. They're in the gyms with a lot of – in fact, my son, my youngest son, who scored 1,000 points at UMBC, is a D3 assistant. He was sitting right next to Patrick Ewing uh, at an event uh, when coaches were once allowed back out on the road uh, okay. at one point. So, look, I mean, uh, the big fella is out there. And, and I think, you know, there's no question that when a new staff comes in, and you're in a league that's got a, a team right now that on the national level is doing what Villanova's doing. Uh, and they're coming into D.C. and Baltimore, and they're taking a lot of kids out. And, you know, schools like Maryland and Georgetown uh, in particular who compete for that same elite level, uh, you know, group of kids, all it's going to take, all it's going to take is one of those kids to say, you know, hey, I'm going to go play with Patrick, and I'm, I'm going to give Georgetown a chance. That's, that's to me, what it's going to take – uh, for this thing to get turned around, because once once one good local player comes in there and unlocks the door and, and shows everybody, hey, you can come here and be successful. I mean, you want to get to the NBA. Yeah. What better guy to get you to the NBA than Patrick Ewing? So at that point, the the, the biggest thing is, and 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 you know, Patrick and a lot of other coaches are demanding of these kids, look, you got to play hard. You know, there's a certain way I want you to play. If you're going to play on my team, I want you to play a certain way. And guys don't meet that standard. Then, then Patrick is going to certainly say, hey, if you would like to go somewhere else, we'll support your move, and good luck to you. And, and unfortunately, I think that's part of what has happened here um, is, you know, it, Patrick has a standard that he wants players to, to play at and, and do their business in a certain way. And eventually, uh, eventually, I think he's going to get, you know, his culture in place, and he's going to get some players. All, like I said, it's only going to take one local kid, I think, to, to help turn this around. Uh, for them, like I said, I, I know the big fellas out on the road because my son was sitting right next to him in a game uh, because <laughs> they both got big feet, and he took a picture of it and he said, he goes, this is one, he goes, one of the few guys I, I end up in the gym with who's got the same size shoe I do, uh, and it's Patrick Ewing. So, and uh, Cody wears, you know, uh, 17s and 18s. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, so, I mean, you know, we're, we're pretty tight with uh, Kevin Durant's people uh, and Team Durant, and um, he's gotten a couple pairs of shoes through the years. Uh, you know, and uh, him and Kevin wear the same size. Uh, so we, we, we've seen some of those. We've seen some of those big shoes. And, you know, I, I tell you, all, all it takes, all it's going to take, Bobby, is one local kid that's uh, of a really elite ability that's going to go to Georgetown and help turn the, help that thing uh, turn around for them. And like I said, I mean, if you're if you're a kid that wants to get to the NBA, 
you know, you, you get far – you got far worse people you could be playing for than Patrick Ewing to help you get there because that's a guy that is one of the, the elite 50 of all time in the history of the NBA. He he knows what it takes to get you there, so why not go play uh, for a guy like that? Because he's going to push you to the level you need to play with so you can play at that level. Look at how many guys that are getting drafted now get to the NBA, and some of I mean, we've seen first-round picks now end up in the G League on a regular basis because – you don't realize how hard you got to play when you get up there uh, against that level of competition. Uh, yeah. and, and, you know, it, they, they struggle a little bit. So right now, roster retention to be one. Uh, they got to get a shooter. I mean, they got to find a way to shoot the basketball. Um, that's something that, you know, at times you thought you were going to get with a Kinjo and Mac, but, you know, at times their decision making in terms of what shots they took. Um, you know, and obviously you see what Mac's doing at Texas Tech. He's off to a good start there. But had Max stayed, I mean, and continued that development, that's a guy that could have helped Georgetown uh, along in this thing. But, again, if you don't want to play to the standard that the coach is going to hold you to, by all means you should go look somewhere else because all you're going to do is be a detriment uh, to to the program uh, at at that point. So, uh, look, you're playing in one of the great leagues. You've got a great school to offer. You're you're playing on TV all the time. The Fox contract is a really good one. Uh, so you're always going to see them on TV. I mean, my son played at UMBC, and, you know, I'm watching them play UMBC the other night. Uh, you know, Brandon Horvath, who played at my son's high school, you know, playing for UMBC, so it's been kind of cool to uh, to watch Georgetown play some of those teams. Um, so you've got a TV contract to offer, you've got a great school to offer, and you've got a great league to offer. So Georgetown has all the things that um, they can offer the kids, and right now it's just a matter of getting a couple of those kids to, to come there and help turn this thing around and, and get them back in contention amongst the elite in the Big East, which easier said than done, though. It's a great league, no doubt about it. And the guys at the top, uh, that Villanova club, uh, you know, Jay Wright's got a, a great thing going there. But that's the, that's the standard now that you have to try and get your program up to. Yeah, and I'm not sure if you had a chance to go into the Thompson Center, but one of the things for as much as we both like and enjoy the nostalgia of McDonough, you know, their facilities were really lacking and the Thompson center is a beautiful facility that also helps them as well. So I do think he has, he has the tools. One of the things you brought up and I, I have seen you tweet about your sons being involved in college basketball coaching Um, just from a bigger level. Obviously Patrick Ewing was one of the greatest college players of all time. He was an NBA assistant for almost 20 years. I think a lot of people from afar didn't realize there would be such an adjustment to college coaching because the one thing you know he's done everything you can do olympic gold medals NCAA championships he's been to the finals but to recruit and to play and coach you know or to recruit and to to coach college basketball is definitely an, an an adjustment and it looked like for the most part he had the program going on the right track by this time last year and everything kind of changed and it, that is what it is but do, do you think enough people considered how hard it would be for someone i'm not saying he can't accomplish it but just the adjustment of you know, NBA is all games, games, games. We play again tomorrow. You don't have to, you know, there's games, there's coaching in college, and you're constantly recruiting, not just next year, but kids that are entering eighth grade, right? So it's a big change. Well, and keep it and, and keep this in mind, too. I mean, on a college level, 90% of the kids you recruit, you've got to teach how to play when they get there. Because yeah. we've got so many kids right now that are coming into college basketball with terrible habits in terms of knowing how to play. Some of them don't know how to pass. Some of them don't know how to cut. A ton of them don't know how to screen. Uh, you know, illegal screening is such an epidemic uh, at the high school and college level right now. So there's so much more teaching that has to go on at the college level. 
So if you don't have, uh, you know, a Robinson Earl like a Villanova does or the kid from the Matha more that a Villanova does and a guy that's more of a ready-made player when they get to the college level, you know, you're teaching your guys how to have to compete against that uh, just in the Big East alone. I mean, look at look at today. I mean, for all the, the heralded recruits that John Calipari always brings into K- Kentucky, Chris Mooney in Richmond, who's more of a well-rounded team right now with experience, they went into Rupp today and, and you know, basically, I mean, they didn't blow them out, but they handled them uh, pretty easily, 76-64. So, you know, the, the thing people don't realize is the college level, you got to teach these kids so much now. Uh, unless you get a kid that comes out of a better – um, you know, AAU program where the coaching is a little bit better, where it's more than just a guy on the sideline profiling, uh, you know, for college coaches that he's got some high-level talent because some of these AAU programs do a tremendous job of teaching kids how to play, and there are some that don't. And yeah. if you get some of the kids that can't play or come out of high school programs where they don't teach very well, um, you know, you've got to teach them when they get to you. In the pros, you've got men who are ready to play, who know, understand how to do their business because they want to get paid the next contract. So those guys, they know how to handle their business professionally, uh, how to work, how to recover, uh, all of those different things at the college level. You got to teach kids all that stuff. And that's why it's such a difficult uh, transition. And, you know, even a guy like Patrick who, you know, played, he was lucky. He played four years at Georgetown. Uh, You know, a lot of guys don't play four years anymore at the college level. Uh, so, again, he knows what to teach them because he was taught by one of the greatest of all time in John Thompson Jr. Yeah. But even now, even now, you've still got to teach these kids so much. And, oh, at the same time, by the way, we're preparing for Villanova this week, so we've got to have a scouting report. We've got to go over what they do. I've got to teach you how to be better uh, individually. And that's, that's why your staff – and, you know, I talk to my kids about it all the time. Both my kids love the player development angle of this, and they love recruiting. But they also, you know, that your staff has got to be big for you. Your staff has got to work just as hard as you do, if not harder, because they're the ones in the gym, probably even more minutes than the head coach, helping develop these players and get them up to speed. That's why your staff has got to be so good uh, in college basketball, in my mind as well. Absolutely. Now, I had Patrick Stevens on here two weeks ago. We were previewing stuff. And Navy and Army are unique, right, in the fact that the other Patriot League teams aren't playing until the Patriot League schedule? That's correct. So the Mids uh, will play Georgetown. They'll have a break for exams, and then they will have games with Morgan State and Delaware before they get into the Patriot League schedule, whereas the Patriot League teams are not playing until January 2nd when league play starts. So the Big East came out with a schedule through the end of the year. Georgetown's got most teams have four games. I think one team has three and there's a team that might have five. So it's, they're going to, they're going to play. The plan is to play a 20 game league schedule with the addition of Connecticut. So they haven't come out with the rest of the schedule. Do you think we're going to see more, more conferences? I'm looking at Navy schedule right now and they're basically doing for the people that don't, that don't know this, they're just playing weekends basically where you go and you play, you know, you host Army for two games, and then you're away to American. For, there's there's definitely a very unique part of the schedule. Do you think we're going to see more odd schedules like this in an attempt to to get some sort of season going to have an NCAA tournament, or do you think things could totally change by then? And who knows? We might, we we might see bubbles, you know, et cetera, et cetera. 
Yeah, I think the virtual learning helps the Power Five conferences if they want to go to a bubble type format. Okay. I don't think the mid majors and the low majors can afford a bubble type format, to be completely honest with you. But the Power Five schools can. And you may see some pod like activity. It would be a creative way to do it. But I mean, the virus is going to tell us everything. The virus is going to be the one that tells us, you know, whether we can finish the season or not, ultimately. Right. And, you know, right now, that's a, that's a virus we can't communicate with. We can't say, hey, could you, could you get this over with? Can we get the vaccine so we could, uh, you know, I think the leagues are going to do whatever they can uh, to play. And I think with the Patriot League, and I've seen some other leagues that are doing a similar format, by doing that, it gives you some wiggle room. So if you say you lose a game on a Sunday because of uh, a positive test or something like that, you can make it up on a Wednesday somewhere later on down the line if you have to, if you want to continue to do that. I mean, uh, Navy's they, they split the league up this year. Navy will not play Boston University, Holy Cross, or Colgate, but they'll play American four times because it's local. It's a bus trip. They'll play Loyola four times. It's local. It's a bus trip. Bucknell, they'll play Saturday in Annapolis. Sunday, they'll play in Lewisburg. Again, it's a three-hour bus trip. It's easy to do. So from that standpoint, you know, I think the Patriot League came up with a schedule that makes a lot of sense. Keeps yeah. the cost down for the teams. And, again, like I said, Power 5 schools got a little bit bigger budget. Those lower schools don't. Um, and we've already seen schools like Bethune-Cookman, UMES, who have opted out. They're not going to play anything uh, this year. And those student athletes lose out uh, in a situation like that. But those schools don't have the funding to test. You know, Division One athletics is expensive. People don't understand that. That's right. And, you know, if you're going to compete at the Division One level, even in, even – Basketball-only schools, so to speak, at the Division One level, because Georgetown, Villanova, they play FCS football. Most of you know the, those schools that do that, they play FCS football. So you get 63 scholarships instead of sharing with 85, like you do on the Division One level. So you know at least those schools have a little bit more funding that they can put toward basketball, where a lot of other schools um, don't have the money right now because they're not generating any revenue outside of what may maybe limited TV contract. Uh, that they have from from their college football program if they have. Now, obviously, we're dealing with, you know, you mentioned the virus decides what happens and we have to listen to the best people that make the decisions. And this has been a really tough time on so many families everywhere. That being said, do you think do you think that there's anything positive that can come out of the adjustments that uh, the the league commissioners and the athletic directors from these schools have had to decide with all the restraints right now. I think probably in my mind, someone that was very anti conference realignment, the biggest one they hit in 2013, because I'm as much as I like college football, I really like college basketball. And I think that one sport should not dictate the entire landscape, but that it, that is what it is. It's money. Um, I think one of the positives that could come out of this is like, for instance, Georgetown's on conference schedule is locals. It's it's Coppin, it's Navy, it's UMBC, it's West Virginia, which I know is dictated by the Big 12 challenge, but you know what I mean. Is that probably one of the, one of the bigger um, silver linings of this, is that we might see more local games? Like, let's hop on a bus. We don't need to fly somebody in for a bye game. Let's just, let's just get on a bus. I, I hope so, uh, because if you, you know, you got to think about this. It's probably cheaper for a Georgetown to bus in a UMBC or a Navy, as opposed to fly in, you know, somebody else uh, from that standpoint. So yeah. uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping, again, I think we're all hopeful that we can see more of these local schools play uh, each other. Um, I mean, think of how great 
you know, look, I mean, Navy and Maryland played as part of the Veterans Classic. Navy got a game with Michigan State as part of the Veterans Classic. North Carolina came there and played Temple as part of the Veterans Classic. So if you're a Georgetown or a Maryland, you could come to the Veterans Classic and get a high-profile game because the only reason you do it is to get an opponent who's going to be uh, meaningful on your schedule. It's going to help your power rating by the end of the year. Right. Um, but, again, it's a high-profile event that's had a lot of great teams. A bunch of SEC schools have played in this thing. Uh, Ohio State has played in this. Pitt came and played in it. So you've got a number of Power 5 schools that are coming to play in those types of events. So you could create something like that locally here because Georgetown, George Washington and George Mason and the Atlantic 10, they're high-profile enough that it, if, if you play an Atlantic 10 team, uh, you know, play a good your Navy's going to have a decent record by the end of this year. So it's going to look good on Maryland's record. It's going to look good on Georgetown's record and RPI by the end of the year, I think, uh, provided the mids don't have any injuries or anything. I think Navy's record is going to be decent. So it's going to work out to be a, a decent opponent for them. Look at Coppin State. Played Duke, you know, right down to the wire yesterday. The Blue Devils uh, winning by 10. So you, you, you just never know with this sport. And sure, every now and then you're going to see one of these lower-tier uh, teams reach up and grab an upset. But – Again, I hope athletic directors, but more importantly, Bobby, you know, it's the coaches. The coaches are the ones that are worried about the W's and L's. Yeah. They're worried about the profile of their team. Sure. If a Georgetown loses to Navy, you know, there's nothing positive to be gained by playing Navy on the surface for Georgetown. And this game's probably going to be a lot tougher than many people think on Tuesday, provided Navy's got to play a perfect game. But if Navy plays at it, it's at the same level it did against George Washington, it will at least give themselves a chance. Now, on the surface, people go, Georgetown, Navy, there's nothing to be gained from this. John Thompson Jr., <laughs> you know, famous for years, was like, right. hey, man, I'm going to play St. Leo, and I don't care what you say uh, about it. Uh, so, um, you know, but, you know, and I say that playfully, of course, because I, I, obviously I've been a Georgetown fan since I was a kid. So, um but I hope that's what comes out of this. I hope they see this, the common sense in it, that if we spend less dollars, that's more dollars we have to put toward our recruiting efforts and our player development efforts. And just like you mentioned with the John Thompson, John Thompson Jr. Center, it's more money we have to put toward facilities and things of that nature that obviously you need to have in college basketball now to keep up with the Joneses in this game or you're going to get left behind, plain and simple. You are. And just, just to – before we get out of here, having you on has been great. And I would regret not bringing up one of my favorite conferences that still exists, but it's a completely different form is when I actually, you know, we all kind of get stuck from what our baseline is. Like when we started paying attention to something, you kind of always remember that in, in like the back of your mind. For me, as a Northern Virginia guy that went to a lot of Mason games and Georgetown games, and then went up going to Madison, I think of the CAA, including navy and sometimes when i'm at these games and i tell younger kids like student reporters or young guys i say you know navy used to be in the ca no they didn't that yeah. league was great that league was great i mean american used to be in the caa yeah navy was in the caa east and carolina i still look bobby i to this day i'm telling you right <laughs> now as i'm sitting here and i know richmond just had a big win over kentucky but it's taken richmond forever in the atlantic 10 to be a factor yeah. Um, VCU was a brief factor in the league in the Atlantic 10, but boy, they, they, you know, slipped down the ladder. That league was better, and those teams were better and had a better chance to get to the tournament when they were in the CAA. I totally and I don't know how much different I don't know how much different their rosters would be, and I don't know how much different the TV contract completely is, uh, to be honest with you, in the Atlantic 10. But 
you know, Richmond and VCU, you know, they, they draw well against each other. But does anybody get wowed when St. Bonaventure comes to Richmond? Do they, do they pack the place uh, for, for that game? You know, yeah. I, I'd, have to, I'd have to look at the, the attendance figures. The CAA was a great league. And I remember when I was working in Norfolk, Tony Mercurio and I, because Old Dominion was in league too. It was a great league. Heyday, it was a great league. We, we used to broadcast the entire tournament, just like Rich Votkin did for years. Him and Dave Brown on DC 101 uh, used to broadcast the entire Big East tournament. And Tony and I used to broadcast the entire Colonial Athletic Association tournament. And it was fantastic basketball. It was a great level of basketball. Dick Parent was one of the uh, most unbelievable people I've ever had basketball discussions with. Uh, when he was coaching at Richmond at the time. Terry Connolly ran me over on press row at Cole Fieldhouse <laughs> when Richmond played Syracuse. Billy Owens and Terry Connolly, here I am at the time. I was a few pounds lighter at about a buck ninety-five. Here comes Connolly and Billy Owens that are both 250-plus, and yeah. they just plow through over on the sideline. We all end up on the ground. Uh, but it was, it was fun. Richmond was able to win a, an NCAA tournament game out of the CAA. Old Dominion could win an NCAA tournament game out of the, the CAA. And, and – I still, to this day, I think George Mason should go back. I think Richmond should go back. I think VCU should go back, uh, to be honest with you, because I don't know really what you gain by playing these teams that geographically make no sense uh, well outside of your footprint uh, to play. That league at one point was dynamite, and those teams were the ones that made it so. And to be honest with you, up until this win today by Richmond, you know, when have any of them been relevant in the Atlantic 10 you know, certainly on the national scene. VCU probably maybe the most notable out of all those schools, but GW and, uh, you know, you'd have to go back to Yinkadare and company when they were relevant in this league under Mike Jarvis. Yeah. They have struggled, you know, for years to get back to that level. Mike Lonergan at times was getting there. Um, but, you know, and, and now Jamie's obviously got some work to do. He just overturned that roster. I mean, they got more transfers than you can shake a stick at. But, you know, I think all those teams would be much better in the CAA, to be completely honest with you. I think the Atlantic 10 is just too big. I really do. I think it's too big. I think they eat each other uh, during the course of the season, and uh, it costs them probably an extra berth or two, uh, you know, for the NCAA tournament. But, you know, obviously we're homers. We like to see, hey, Bobby, we grew up on it. We saw the league at its best uh, with some of the greatest coaches uh, in the country at the time. And, um you know, we'd love to go back and, and, and see that league in its heyday. But, you know, clearly you look at that footprint now, and that's a different league too, uh, which is kind of weird to watch that when you go from Northeastern all the way down to the College of Charleston now uh, for the Colonial Athletic Association. Just like every other league, you know, they didn't, you know, expansion just sort of happened to them, and that's just the way it went. So they had to kind of grab schools yeah, to make it no, work, right. they, you know. They had to grab anybody – they had to grab anybody that was left over. Who wants uh, and to that's dance? Really what expansion, that's really what expansion did to a lot of conferences. You just had to find anybody and anybody. I mean, who, who, how does Creighton, you know, fit in the Big East? Oh, uh, we could, really we could do it. We could do an hour on that. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah, exactly. hey, Pete, hey, Pete how, does, how does Denver lacrosse end up in the Big East? Oh, well, <laughs> they got to play somewhere. You know, I don't know. How, I don't know how good you do as an as an independent, but you know, having that league and that automatic berth, uh, you know, that's why that's why they're in the in the Big East in lacrosse because uh, they they, they got to get that automatic berth. That's why. And what Air a, Force. I mean, hell, you got you got Air Force now, uh, Richmond all playing in lacrosse in the same conference. Geographically, none of this stuff makes any sense anymore. To be honest it, with you, it makes the Cowboys in the NFC East reasonable. 
<laughs> well, remember at one point St. Louis was in the NFC East. Right. Uh, you know, when the Cardinals were, were located in St. Louis. So well, Arizona as well. No, but I'm sure uh, the Kente Corner listeners did not know that this was going to go into a I love the CAA portion. But I with with you on the podcast, I needed to go there because I know I know that you would definitely probably see things my way a little bit. And when I got to JMU, Lefty had just Lefty was just on the way out. So it had been such a great league for the Virginia schools and for the coaches and for everything. But Pete, I know that you are a busy man and we are so happy to have you on Kente Corner. You can find him 1067 the fan. He has he's all over the place. If you listen tomorrow, you will find him on there. I promise you. Pete, thank you so much for stopping by. Bobby, appreciate the invite. Glad to do it anytime. I'll see you, Pete. Thanks, Bobby. Appreciate it, buddy.